I mean, hey, we had to really want to do this interview to go through that much technical difficulty. Right, I know. I'm very proud of us. Let's start recording. Should I do that? I'm recording too, so we're all good. Okay, perfect. perfect, perfect. Uh, at least okay, I... so go ahead and like just back up recording because at this okay. point, after we tried three separate okay. times, I don't trust any technology today. I am, I am um, anti-tech today. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I was listening to one of the episodes where there were like technical difficulties, and you guys were talking about it too. It gets hilarious after a while. It's like you know, like we were getting some like critiques on like, wow, Monica talks a lot and really fast. It's like, okay, so what happened was <laughs> Skype dropped and I'm just seeing a static person in front of me and I am just trying to fill time until Skype catches up or if I have to press stop. Right. Like behind right. the scenes in really cool podcast world. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. I was reading through your questions today and um, I am really excited to talk to you because we haven't, discussed any I'm of this so before. I'm so excited to talk to you, too. It's like the big thing that like we say, at least in my family, and I, I'm realizing how insensitive it sounds, is at least it's not cancer. And um, right. I'm realizing that's a really insensitive thing to say, because you dealt with that. Right. I, right. I probably should really like reframe how I speak, because wow. <laughs> well, actually, that's actually like a, such a great segue into kind of starting the conversation and starting kind of what everything is about from five years ago in kind of this mission that I, you know, felt myself on in that, you know, I, you know, and as you know, and I'm sure you read, so I had a bone tumor and they're extremely rare, but the majority of bone tumors are benign and something like 0.2% of bone tumors are cancerous. Lucky and, you. And, and I'm about to go, I'm about to have my seventh surgery in December to reconstruct where this tumor was. And this is a benign tumor. So, I mean, it destroyed everything in its path. My whole knee is replaced. Seven inches of my femur was replaced. And it just needs continual maintenance. I mean, like a car. I mean, it's, it's hardware and technology. So what's just, what's crazy about that is that, you know, 15 years ago, you know, I'm 37 today, I'll be 38 in January, 15 years ago, I was 21 years old, about to turn 22 when I found this thing from just pain with, you know, light activity, and um, I didn't, social media wasn't around 15 years ago, like, Facebook had maybe just been created, and just for Harvard, or whatever it is, oh, God, the, the kinder, gentler and how all that years. stuff, you know, went, and <laughs> Instagram didn't happen until like 2010. So five years ago, when I was getting ready for my sixth surgery, it was the surgery that they do for individuals that have the malignant version of my tumor. Because this tumor that I had was so extremely rare and recurred with this high percentage that we decided to do the most radical thing, which was to take out all the bone involved and replace it with what's called a distal femoral replacement, which is basically a knee plus. So like a knee plus up as much as needed to take out of this my femur. And I was dying to talk to anybody that it had this surgery because I was kind of excited because you get your, you know, you see all these stories of people getting their knee replaced, whether they're in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, that are like, they have a new lease on life and they're like, wow, I had so much pain and, you know, I'm doing all this activity now and it's just, you know, overnight I was walking within a day of surgery, you know, you hear these crazy stories and I decided to use Instagram and search hashtags of like different tumor types and that kind of thing and that's where bone tumor awareness was born. 
So now it's like four or five years later and like close to 1500 people in this group and all different, you know, malignancies, benign and all that kind of stuff of different types of bone tumors and, and situations. And since it's so rare, it's one of those, you know, conditions where it's really up to your surgeon to decide your, you know, their best treatment path and all that kind of stuff. And you see all these different stories come, you know, in all these different online groups of, you know, things that you're like, oh, damn, that really sucks. That probably wasn't the best idea, you know, for a treatment or whatever it is. It's kind of like an armchair doctor, you know, but and I'm sure we all of us people with chronic pain or chronic issues are like, oh, they really got like the shitty end of the stick with that, you know, that position. Um, and, you know, that's another hard thing. There's like less than 200 specialists for this in the United States and even more. Um, of an issue finding somebody overseas so um so yeah so that's kind of how this was born and I found who are now people that I haven't even met in person that I would consider best friends you know that you bond hardcore over all this stuff about and and I was finding the most people that I could ask questions about with a tumor that's called osteosarcoma which is you know it happens even in dogs it's you know a a pretty aggressive malignant tumor of the bone that starts in the bone and um that's when I said you know what malignant or benign we're having the same surgeries the same pain the same everything and I want to bundle that all up into one because full disclosure sometimes when I go and talk in some of these you know, support groups for people that have had cancerous lesions, I still kind of feel like I'm a little bit of an outcast because, you know, these people have to undergo different, you know, types of treatments and radiation and chemo. Sometimes they don't and we'll just do a surgery and we'll be continually monitored. But, um, but yeah, that's when I was like, you know what, I need an all-encompassing bone tumor group for all of us to share all the different surgeries or even talk about physicians that we love or whatever it is that have been great for us because these are hard to find. I mean, this, I will, I'm on my fourth surgeon in seven surgeries. So, and I'm, I'm going to be an exception of somebody that's very picky and like, very, you know, advocating for my health to be what I need it to be and my treatment to be what I need it to be, right? So, um, so yeah, that's kind of, like I said, even though I went off in a long, long story for you, but I mean, that's a great kind of starter into how I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give credit to these people like myself um, that have underwent and now about to go into a seventh surgery. You know, I know some people with malignancies that have had one surgery, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just all varies. And I, I don't want to discriminate and say, you can't come in here because you don't have cancer. I want to say, Hey, what surgeries have you had? What treatments have you had? Some people with benign tumors have gotten, um, there's a medication called Exgiva and it's like essentially a, a shot that's technically, I guess, under the chemo realm, but it's intended to shrink a tumor before doing surgery on it. If it's in a sensitive place, like an ankle or something like that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we get all types of different treatments because they're so rare and these physicians are just trying what they think they know works best, whether it's either radiation or the shots or, you know, barbaric surgeries as I call them. Um, so, so yeah, that was kind of my overall mission to just put everybody together in a room that has had the same pain surgeries experiences to be able to share and kind of just chat and support each other. I love that. I, there's so many, yeah. um, there's almost like this weird 
purity level with the um, social media groups where it's like, well, I'm sorry, but you're not sick enough for this group. Right. Or there's like this one-upmanship that happens in um, a lot of the groups that gets a little... uh, intense I'll, I'll yeah. leave it at intense like yeah. wow I'm not trying to be sicker than you I swear you you win Absolutely. on sick congratulations like if that was the trophy you were going for well done I know I know I know and you know another thing that's kind of really really sad about that that I've realized like you know when I first created this group like I was I'm a marketing person so like naturally and I'm very entrepreneurial so naturally I'm like can this be monetized in some way, whether it's to, you know, create some kind of brand awareness for this and something that not, isn't viral, but that's like very much like a spoony kind of thing where all of us bone tumor people want to have like a little, like I had these little bracelets made that were like, I was thinking of Kabbalah and like how the red bracelets were so popular. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a color that's, you know, unisex and all this stuff. And I branded this group and I started, and the whole idea was to fund for me to be able to find a um, beneficiary, you know, related to orthopedic research and all this stuff, to be able to throw those funds into, and, um, you know, I this really opened my mind to that not everybody's like me, and not everybody has to spend on something like that. And some people are on Medicaid or whatever, you know, I've, you know, always had, you know, one of the best PPOs, whatever that my company that I work for offers. And I've had the total luxury of that life and building a career for the last 10, 15 years. And I have a lot of friends, you know, in these groups that are fully on disability. So, you know, they have a fixed income and they just don't have, money to spend like that and that's when I just completely changed my mindset about trying to do that and now one of the big things that I started doing was people that you know if I was aware that they were having a surgery especially if it was similar to mine you know leg arm what all those are going to be different is that I would just pay for you know stuff that I knew really helped me and like I said I just really changed it to a very pay it forward mentality instead of let's try and get money from people or crowdfund or whatever for this cause. I think, you know, since it's so rare and there's, you know, even a thousand to 1500 people, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I think considering how rare this is, that's a lot of people, you know, in one place. And, um, I would send these little surgery packages to people or like, you know, another thing that was crazy was I just totally winged it and started writing to companies that sold products like gel packs and you know warm ice or you know that treatment or or athletic tape and I had like 20 companies I mean it's the faith that you have or you know sometimes the like pessimism that you have uh, with people not caring I had these companies just send me like boxes of product without asking me anything to see anything and I just had kind of like and that was where the marketing and creative ended up coming through where I had like a good written spiel and like sell on hey I, I'm in a group of 1500 people that would benefit highly from your product I have no problem promoting your product I use your product can I get some to give away like as prizes and I, I remember this dining room that I had was full of crap and I was living at my parents and they were so pissed because they were like so when are you moving this stuff because we have like a pack you know a stack of ice packs and a you know um 
you know, whatever, biofreeze cream and all that stuff all over the place. And I still have tons of that stuff. And I tried to do like monthly kind of contests with little trivia things for people to win. And I, another thing I noticed that a lot of people in the group were also overseas. So I was like, oof, the shipping's going to be expensive. But I mean, that's all kind of stuff that I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like these people definitely need this stuff more than, you know, or that can afford it less than I can. So I'll do what I can to help people that, you know, are really looking for any kind of guidance or help or, you know, that don't have, you know, as big as a network or maybe a physician that talks to them enough about what, you know, their needs are going to be. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's been an interesting life learning experience of, you know, the transformation of the original thinking, you know, in this entrepreneurial fashion to, what it really should be, which is, you know, this kind of genuine, really wanting to help people out there that were, that are now in my shoes 15 years ago when I had not one person to relate to or connect to about what I was going through. So, so yeah. So I'm going to back up for just a second. What is the ultimate, like, it sounds like the surgery packages could work for anyone who's going into surgery pretty much. Right. What's your, like, ultimate gift basket for, like, so people listen to this are also caregivers. So, like, what's the ultimate thing? Like, if your friend's going for surgery, what would be a good gift basket to, to go buy? Okay. So, I mean, for me, it would be most applicable for somebody that's going to be immobile because, it's, you know, my surgery was a leg. So I'm going to be coming up on two to three months at least, not, not even weight bearing weight on my leg. So there's a couple of tools that are my go-tos. Um, a grabber. I love that. Those grabbers, like, you have no idea. People that don't even have like this disability will be like, can I borrow your grabber for a second? I'm like, yeah, because it's awesome. It's amazing. And you're laying in bed and you drop something and you just want to grab something. Um, I can't and, tell you how many times I've fallen out of bed when I've like been super dislocated and like I've actually gotten so much worse falling out of bed because I'm like, I can totally reach that one little right? thing that's on the floor. And you're doing like acrobatics. Oh yeah, no, it's it's Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, it's like I I need like grab bars for. Yeah, and people kind of give that that kind of thing a stigma that it's like for somebody that's 95 years old. Hell no! Like you know, I that was one of the first things I got. It even has like a magnet on the end, so I can stick it on my bed post. (laughs) I mean, hey, age early 40s, body mid 90s. Yeah, I'm there. I'm good. Oh, All of that stuff is like uh, made for like <laughs> right, right, right. There's another thing that's called a leg lifter. That it's basically kind of like this stick that has a little loop on the end. And for me, that is so important because when you have caretakers, like you're saying, and you're kind of motioning to get off your bed, and you have this leg that is was just cut into five, six, seven days ago, even two, three weeks ago, that is so painful once, you know, gravity hits it and all the blood kind of goes there and everything's hurting so bad. Um, I think that sometimes, and I feel so bad because it's so easy for us in pain to get angry at somebody that's just trying their best, right? They'll, they'll lower your leg, like, at warp speed, and I'm like, ah! you know, that's happened to me so many times. Like, if my dad has been a bit big primary caretaker for me, and I remember he, like, pushed my foot into my shoe so hard and I think every cuss word came out of my mouth at that moment and I felt so bad because you know he just doesn't know like he doesn't know that that little like movement of just you know when you're trying to like shove a little kid's foot you know into the shoe into the tennis shoe um so this leg lifter you essentially on your own can like loop your foot into it 
and drop your leg down at your own leisurely pace, which is amazing. So one, you're not having to depend on somebody else and making them feel bad, right? And sometimes they'll give you that in the hospital even or ask for it. Granted, it'll be like $95 instead of 11 you know, in the hospital bill. Quick reminder but, to our uh, international audience, we are both here in the United States. We are dealing with the United States <laughs> um, medical bills. And when we say right. they will charge you $100 for an aspirin, we are not kidding. That actually oh. show up on your bill. You took an aspirin, it was $100. They used a um, Q-tip that was $25. Like seriously, if you itemize, it, it's mm-hmm. unreal when you itemize our bills. Um, so when we're saying these things, we're not exaggerating. We're here in the United States. We're dealing with the U.S. medical system. She's very like there's so much waste. And, and I mean, I work have, in healthcare technology. Yeah, so you have a really good PPO. There's so much waste. Yeah. yeah, it's so much waste in healthcare, wasted dollars, wasted everything. And to give you a perfect example, when I had this the big replacement surgery five years ago, which is when I kind of started my group, um, after the, you know, social had been invented and I was able to kind of find people to talk to and form this group together, um, I got my EOB, you know, my statement you know, for my insurance of that surgery. And the charge was $127,000. That's a right. <laughs> it'll Absolutely. blow your hair back, right? Yeah. And um, what was actually paid was something in the area of $27,000. And it was just fine and done. And I was like, you know, it's just crazy to see, <laughs> you know, what was allowed to be paid for. And it was just, zeroed out and they were charging this hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars oh yeah and by the way just a quick like heads up for people who are going into surgery actually if you're here in the united states please this is my one big tip for everyone because it will absolutely kill you when if you don't do this like not dead but dead financially um check to make sure that your nurses your anesthesiologist, not just your surgeon, but all of them are on your medical plan. Because if your anesthesiologist is not, you will have to pay the full anesthesiology cost, which can cost into the six figures. My little tip for everyone, please yeah, don't get caught out like that because you won't think to ask, did your head surgery nurse also be on your your plan? Did your anesthesiologist? Right. Because they won't tell you that. So you have to actually ask and then you have to shop the different hospitals because mm-hmm. different hospitals will charge different. Yeah, vastly different amounts. So I'm sorry, that's my little moment. I'm not even on a soapbox. I'm just trying to save y'all money if you're here in the United States. So there we go. (laughs) It's totally relevant. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, the cost of all that. And, you know, unfortunately, people even with a bone tumor wouldn't even have the luxury of doing that because there's literally between 120 and 200 people that are specialized enough to treat these. So that's very very tough and here's the other kind of difficult thing that I've come across when and this is kind of like a day in the life of being the founder of this group I'll get messages from I've gotten a lot of people from the Philippines specifically which is interesting um or overseas in the UK Scotland England um and A perfect story example is this one gal wrote to me. She was actually, she's living here as an American now. Um, She married an American man. She's from South Africa. And um, she had found, discovered a bone tumor that she knew she had for a long time as a child. She kind of had, there's, you know, different versions, but one of the most common benign bone tumors, it's like 30 to 40% of bone tumors is called an osteochondroma. And it's basically like, to say it in a layman way, extra bone 
that has formed and it protrudes typically. So it's not kind of like, uh, you know, your bones cells splitting and creating this kind of like necrotic tumor flesh within your bone. So it's an easier tumor to treat. There's even, um, a rare, you know, orphan disease called HME or hereditary multiple exostosis or MHE, which is a childhood or adolescent um, condition where you get like a bunch of these around your body. So they, they call themselves bumpy, right? And so they just have all these little kind of bone bumps of extra bone that is formed. And they don't necessarily have to have surgery unless there's one that's painful, which is good, right? You don't want to have to undergo all these operations. And let's say if it was on your elbow and it hurt you so bad to be resting your elbow on it, maybe they would have, you know, surgery on that. But, um, but yeah, this, this gal that was, you know, in her mid to mid twenties or so knew she had to do something about it. And she reached, she found the group, you know, from doing the search, she reached out. And so I had asked her, you know, as much information as she had, and she had seen like a PCP and even general orthopedists aren't necessarily familiar with bone tumors because it's that specialized. And I have a general orthopedist to treat other orthopedic issues that I have as a result of what has happened to my right leg. So I have tons of arthritis on the other side from overuse for 10 to 15 years. Um, so I get, you know, kind of cortisone and all these different kind of shots and stuff that have been very effective to help treat those easier issues um but this this pcp had fully taken it upon himself to diagnose her with something i had never in my life heard of and being studying all this stuff is you know like i said an armchair want to be you know advocate for bone tumor patients um something i had never heard of was suggesting to just get it taken out or have surgery but i don't even know who and kind of told her to go to all these different doctors for her somebody that wasn't working at the time um you know that copay and that copay and that copay would have been a total waste of money for her and so i was able to find her the specialist in her area thankfully she was in a more urban area in florida and a lot of these specialists are in urban area teaching hospitals. And so I found her, that surgeon, she even showed me some of her x-ray imaging, which I asked if she had, if I could see, you know, and of course, with this disclaimer, I'm not a physician, like I just, I'm checking out your images to kind of see if I can maybe freak you out less. And I had taken a wild guess from all the different imaging that I've seen on what it was. And we made this kind of joke and I was like, you owe me, you know, lunch or dinner or something if I'm ever around in Florida, if I get this right, you know. And so she went, she made an appointment with the specialist. Immediately, he was able to diagnose it with what I guessed. She had the best, most smooth surgery ever. And, you know, this other PCP had just, like I said, taken it upon himself to diagnose something he had no idea about, no training and no education. And granted, that was kind of what I was doing with her too. But, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think of this path that somebody that you're trusting, right? That's highly educated. We, we put so much trust in these doctors <laughs> to tell us the truth, you know, the hashtag truth. And it's not always truth. You know, we're all human, even technology, like the experience doesn't work all the time. And, um, and so she had, she ended up having a really great experience. Now, is that what happens to everybody with a bone tumor? No. Um, like I said, I've had four different surgeons. I've been misdiagnosed twice and very big misdiagnosis as in, hey, this is something that's never going to come back to something that came back already two, three times. Um, 
and you'll, you'll do great and you'll be running and walking in six months. And I've never, I haven't run 15 years. So, um, <laughs> even jog or even close to jog or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting and it doesn't even matter how prestigious the hospital <laughs> Like that's the last thing I think that really matters because yeah, you're going to search for the, you know, top 10 or whatever that we know are advertised is that, but my worst experience was at a place that shall remain nameless, but that is very prestigious and well-known, and where I go now, nobody would even have heard of it, and it's the best, most amazing, compassionate, best bedside manner, most in innovative surgeon I've ever had, so it's just, it's really about finding what's right for you, and it's just such a shame because there are people of limited, limited means with these conditions, with every condition, right? And they have, you know, you're essentially forced to travel, you know, at times one, two, three, four hours or a plane ride away for your treatment for somebody that specialized in this. So it's, it's really, really tough sometimes. So especially like in the Philippines, right? Like I was saying, some people contact me from the Philippines and they live in remote towns and villages. And the only thing available for them is in Manila, you know, and I, it's, it's really, really tough. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really tough to kind of see those stories play out if they can't, you know, get treated in, in the time that they should, because these are serious. You know, you could really, you could, essentially what happens is you could get what's called a pathological fracture. So you break through your tumor and it can be very destructive if it's close to a joint or, you know, and it's not like a little crack, it's like a pencil break. So, yeah. So it's <laughs> I, I, if, if you want to see my facial expressions, uh, please go to YouTube. We have a channel. I post these. Um, the reason I'm cringing is because I have other stainless. I dislocate, like, I have mass dislocations like five times a day. I am no stranger to massive levels of pain. I will take all of my dislocations any fucking day over bone surgery. I had that once. I refused to have the other limb done. The other limb needs it done. I will not do it. Um, I would rather have the dislocations every day on that tibia than ever have my bones drilled again. I have the utmost empathy and sympathy here. If you think you understand this pain because you've had laparoscopic surgery, I've had that too. It's not even close. It's not like there's, that's like saying that I have headaches. So I get migraines. Like Bone surgery is a different world, and I never want to go into it again. I'm happy being a very short tourist there. I never want to go again. So, like, everything you're talking about, like, bone opening, and, like, right. I just, I can't viscerally handle right. this. Like, right. And, that you know, pain. I oh never my God. broke one bone my whole life. So, zero to 37 years old, I've never broken a bone, and I was an athlete my whole life, which is something that also would have never worked out for me, you know, based on... <laughs> my destiny um and with <laughs> this bone tumor and I was actually I found it from being active and that's probably the last time that I was truly active um and so, so tell us about like how did you find pain. it like what was like it, I you're you're pretty young when you found it it's not like something that's usually like you know when right. you have a a uh, presenting female body you usually like you know to do breast cancer screens like by the time right. you're 20 you've heard all of the ways to if you're a person with breasts you've learned how to like check out that in the lymph nodes like there's all sorts of like basic maintenance that like a lot of us know to check for in our bodies and I'm sure male presenting bodies which I don't understand yet even at my 40s I'm sure there's things you guys have all learned about like how to like handle a body that is yeah that um how right. did you know to even check anything like right well, pretty young to check so rare it's never talked about so like I what I would encourage and give advice to anybody that 
listens that is young in their first, first, second, or third decade of life, which is the most common age, age range to get this. I was 21 years old. I had probably had it at least since my teens because I, when I first found the tumor that I had, which was right at my knee, I was getting to a point where I couldn't like do a little jog. And I had like this rock bottom moment. I was in college. I went to design school in Chicago and we had these little key cards to get in and out of classes. And I'd forgotten mine and somebody was holding open the door and I said, Oh wait, 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 can you keep that open? And I tried to do this little jog and my knee just like completely gave out. And I was in denial. I was like, I'll go get this checked, whatever. Like I've always been an athlete. I have little pains here and there and all that kind of stuff. And I'll never forget. It was the holidays. It was like right before Christmas. And I was a college student. I mean, I was young. I didn't have any kind of like other obligations or bills or anything to worry about. So that's another thing too, like thinking about surgeries today from back then when I had like not a care in the world and, you know, caretakers and your parents. And if you're lucky enough to have family that will help you out or family that's around, you know, I, I'm so fortunate to have had that stuff. Um, but yeah, and I, you know, I, I had this rock bottom moment where I went and I had all these x-rays and all this stuff done and everything was very fast. It was very much like, you need to see this doctor tomorrow. We made you an appointment. We hand delivered your MRIs and we did, you know, all this stuff. And I'm 21, you know, and clueless about what the heck is going on. And I'm like, what doctor did you make me an appointment with? They're like, oh, an orthopedic oncologist. I didn't even know what oncology was. It you know, actually and, helped with the stress level if you didn't know what that was. <laughs> Well, until I looked it up, right? And I was like, what on earth is happening? So, of course, you know, I was living 700 miles away from my family. And they said, well, tell your surgeon to recommend somebody over here, you know, in the East Coast so that you can come home and have the surgery. And, you know, you'll be home and we'll take care of you. And so that ended up not being a successful path, unfortunately. But again, it happens to the best of us and to the best of physicians. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just... Being that young, like I said, and not having one person to talk about, and you're talking about this bone stuff, and I think another really good kind of topic is this pain management thing, because now with how progressive everything has gotten with medical marijuana and all of this kind of stuff, you know, there are so many people that have talked to me about, you know, have you explored your options with medical marijuana and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, you know... At the end of the day, I think that how medical marijuana would help me would be maybe to just, like, chill me out if I'm very tense from pain. But there is nothing, not even the heaviest, dilaudid, morphine, whatever. And you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's nothing that will take away a millimeter of anything that somebody did to your bone. It is horrendous. You're, you're killing like, me absolutely. because, like, I just think that the only thing that the marijuana is going to stop from bone pain is just, like, the levels of anxiety you feel when someone right. goes, have you tried? And, like, I'll take a hit just to deal with what you're going to say next. Like, that's the only, like, <laughs> applicable use for bone. Like, seriously, if you have not had bone right. surgery, you, you there's no way to understand. I could never understand if I hadn't had it. And I had it with um, a two-year-old. I had a, a mm-hmm. toddler son when I had my bone surgery. I can't it was um it was unique it was yeah I have I have cats and I can't even like do their food you know or whatever it is I have cats who have like this weird idea that they're gonna help by jumping on whatever hurts like oh, they will yeah. like go from really high up jump curl around it and start purring it is the most mm-hmm. sadistic thing that I know they're I don't write me emails I know they're trying to help I get it 
I don't hate them for it, but it is just when he's like, what the fuck, Kat? Like, why are you doing this to me? I feed you. I know, I know. I feed you and I give you shelter. This is why we can't have nice things. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> Toddlers um, and cats. That's why we can't have nice things. Right. Right. All right. So what so, does work for pain management you know, for this? Like, do you, have you found anything? Like, is, I, I mean, I remember back and like, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, my goal with my seventh operation is to, because essentially what has happened since I had this replacement is that I've never fully recovered. I had to have a revision within one and a half years to give you an example of something that could happen. A woman's body, right, has a little more different curvature and shape than a male or like a robot skeleton that you see in the I'm lab. sorry, have you not seen and what the fashion magazines are telling us for all right. posts to look? Like exactly. the same, like anyone presenting male, female, we're all supposed to look like rulers. That is apparently exactly. with washboard abs. That's that. Right. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. Exactly. <laughs> and so I noticed within a year of having tons of physical therapy, which is, a, you know, I'm a huge advocate for. And I, I do notice a lot of folks that have these surgeries don't invest their time and effort in physical therapy. And they will often be, get really stuck. And I'm like, you, this is the hardest part. The surgery isn't the hard part, actually. It's the after, right? Especially when it's something related to a joint. I can't tell you, and of course, nobody that gets a bone tumor is lucky, but if it's like mid-bone or something, I'm jealous because I'm like, oh, they don't have a joint to fully recover and get all range of motion and extension and flexion and everything back. So, so you know, it's for any kind of thing related to a joint, like knee recovery is no pain, no gain. It's known as, you know, you got to get back to bending. And I've had a situation where a doctor was like, you need to do physical therapy five times a week. Aggressive. She wrote aggressive on the script because otherwise they were going to take me back into surgery to force bend my leg, which is the manipulation surgery. And I'm like, ah, you know, 21 years old, crying in that appointment, saying, I don't want to have surgery. And I just, I went five days a week and it was horrendous. And you, the last 20 minutes of every appointment was just force bending that knee. Um, and that's, you know, again, not the surgery. Like for me, surgery is like vacation. Like that's like the worst way to think about it. It's like you're put to sleep, you're in la la land and whatever, you're fully taken care of around the clock by these nurses. When you get home and your recovery and PT and all that other stuff, that's the hardest part because you're back to your life. And, you know, especially being not 21 anymore and 37 and like, I have to pay my mortgage. And like, I have, you know, am I going to go on short term disability? I'm going to get half the pay or whatever it is. And so it just really sucks. But yeah, this, you know, right now for the last couple of years, it's been round the clock, uh, pain, pain management with opiates. They work the best. I've been suggested and tried some other different types of medication, which to me, like, I feel like a lot of doctors will often try to prescribe other types of medication to put in the mix to make you kind of come off opiates a little bit, like a gabapentin, for instance. And I'll never forget falling asleep almost driving from taking gabapentin and not feeling anything different with my pain. And I was like, nothing's different. Not worth it right? Not worth adding another thing to my portfolio of drugs. So, um, and it just, you know, all these different, the opioid crisis has been in existence forever. It's not a new thing. I mean, it's been around forever. And then what happens is unfortunately, if it's too expensive or people can't get, you know, opioids or whatever pills, essentially, um, especially in the VA and with veterans that like runs rampant. It's so sad. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
you get your hands on other stuff. And that's kind of how all these issues are born. But I especially am very crazy about all this stuff because I have major addiction in my family. So that to me has been very scary the last couple of years. And I've been, I have literally on my phone, like, detailed notes about every little minute that I took a pill so that I know exactly when I last took something that it's been four or five, six hours since the last thing, not overdosing, not any or overdosing per what my instructions are. And, you know, and it's another sad thing is that I've, I've seen other patients get like way over prescribed than they need to be because like my prescriptions are not crazy. They're, and, and they're managing as much as I can. Um, what really stinks and why I'm having this surgery is that I have a stress fracture right now in the, the remaining femur from the interaction with this hardware. So I'm getting it kind of like pimped out. So I'm getting this kind of custom. Are you going to pimp my leg? Because it's, it was a new yeah, show. You make an episode. <laughs> Um, it had to go through this kind of like compassionate device FDA procedure that's taken a couple of months because we're essentially combining components from two different manufacturers. So that needs all this kind of approval. Who knows if it's like real approval or like what's, you know, what's in that approval. Uh, the FDA has um, been an interesting ally and uh, sand out problem for so many. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So how but, do you I mean, decide that on right about that bone pain? It is indescribable. It is paralyzing. Like I make that comment about I have this with this stress fracture. If I move side to side, that's a very hard movement, like even in bed, which is passive. It's like, you know, you're not walking around. And like my boyfriend will be like, Are you okay? Because it'll be like a <gasps> you know, and you'll like it's the worst like pain for that one second and you have to like catch your breath and like I don't think any amount of weed <laughs> will take that away which I wish it did you know like I really wish it did I just don't I don't even want to go down that path and I don't um discourage anybody from doing that if that's what they want to do and and if it helps and I've heard lots of stories where it, you know other different conditions and diseases that people just have like turned to medical marijuana and it has saved their life um I just you know and like you said even like the laparoscopic surgeries you know when I've talked to people about you know like I had you know seven inches of my femur removed again not in this one-uppy fashion and I'll never forget this surgeon that I had that I wasn't a fan of came to visit me like the, for the two minutes of the five days that I was in the hospital and after this replacement surgery and he was like yeah I remember when I had my ACL you know done and I was like really what about your story it matters to me right now that you just took out with a saw seven inches of my femur and my entire knee joint and every ligament <laughs> and literally I am missing half of this, the longest bone in my body, the strongest bone in our body, and you're literally telling me about a procedure that you had trying to relate to me. Like, if anybody else says that, I don't care because nobody's going to know about these surgeries, but for my physician who did these surgeries to try and compare, um, I, was, I was so pissed. <laughs> I was so pissed. Oh, my goodness. It's just such a different... It's so different. I mean, it really is. So, yeah, bone. There's not, I mean, even, even the managed pain management that I'm on now, which is heavy medication. I mean, their narcotic prescriptions doesn't hundred percent manage it at all. 
at all at all. It makes me be able to walk around. So I'm still in pain when I'm walking around. I'm still in pain when I'm sitting. I'm still in pain when I'm laying down. So there's no, there's no 100% relief, which is, and I don't think I ever will have that unless I, even if, if I got amputated, which is a end all be all option, you know, down the line. But even amputees have so much pain, you know, like I've heard good stories about that. Like I was so happy to just let this limb go or whatever it is. And it was, you know, I had so much pain that it was worth it. And I've heard other, you know, horror stories about post amputee life and pain and pain with prosthetics and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's all over, you know, people have their preferences with how they want to manage their pain. And some people are successful and some people aren't. This has been successful for me, no matter how much of a stigma, you know, opiates have gotten. I can't stress how important pain management I mean, it's so important, and so many physicians don't talk to you about it. It's crazy. Or they have their own biases about it. And, like, there usually does need to be a a bunch of things that you use, like opioids and physical therapy. And marijuana can help. Like, especially if you're chronic illness where it's a whole bunch of separate conditions. Like, some things handle Mm -hmm. my fibro stuff. Marijuana handles my fibro stuff just fine. I hate to say that fibro sucks, and if you are dealing with fibro... I hear you, but the muscle pain seems to be dealt with a lot better with marijuana for me. The pain from dislocating has to have like massive level of right. opioids. You need to call for reinforcements. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that makes sense physical therapy. If you think about it, the tension in your muscles, right? Like we were just talking about like what smoking a joint or whatever it is or edibles or whatever it may be. It's like taking that ease down. And like for me, the relaxation, if I'm having that muscle soreness, which I can have, is, you know, can be alleviated by taking a clonopin. Because you're essentially like, you know, you're getting a little bit sedated. So, um, so yeah, I, I can imagine. But that's awesome that that helps with your, you know, fibromuscular pain. I love Amazing. it. Well, I use it also for like, um, when I dislocate the the muscles will freeze and then you can't relocate because I'm not going to go. I dislocate five times a day. Would you like to guess how much it would cost if I went to the hospital every time I dislocated? Oh I don't go to the hospital. So I have to like take the muscles to like stop spasming and then just gently relocate, which also requires opioids. So like we right. sort of mix and match a whole bunch of stuff. And then I have to take opioids to go to my physical therapist because whenever I see her, she has to relocate whatever I couldn't relocate. So we have to bring oh, yeah, the pain that's level down. I feel like people don't know. Yeah. That, like you're given that prescription post-op. Guess what half of it's for? Mm-hmm. Talk better. that shit before you go to your PT <laughs> because it's going to hurt like shit. Please time I mean, your medications appropriately. Yes. Right. Um, and it's, yeah. not, it's not like, you know, don't be a hero, man. Like it's, you know, my dad had, and obviously not a bone surgery, but at the time, 65 years old or 60, whatever, he had this major shoulder reconstruction that was like a 40 year past injury. So I'm sure it just got continually worse. And he was like, I'm not going to take one painkiller. And he was like taking Advil and he was miserable. I come from like a family of like, but I mean, it's not, you need to manage your pain. You do. My family is like country people. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's this like mythology that is held up for every like aunt and uncle who had a surgery and Mm. took one aspirin, just one. And it was like, it was so hard to like live up with that because it was like, I, I feel like I'm a wimp. 
Like, right. I, I can't do this with one aspect. Like, and now I take my painkillers so that I can do my physical therapy so I don't lose strength. Like, it, it's, there's different ways to take this. Please, we are not doctors. Do not sue us. Absolutely. Talk to your doctor. Talk to your physical therapist. Talk to your pain clinic. Like, see what works. But I'm just saying, like, I just switched how I take my painkillers within the last three months to take them before physical therapy and before I do physical therapy every day. And that has increased my ability to do physical therapy, which has increased my strength. Like there's different ways to handle this, but there's no medal that's going to be given to you because you didn't take something. No, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to feel like shit and you're probably going to be mean. Yeah, you're going to be mean. You're going to get divorced. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And you're going to not get any better because you're not going to be able to do your physical therapy properly. Like just, not right. advocating what you don't need, just advocating for like talk to your doctors about what you do need. Because uh, the only big difference between like ten years ago and now with the opioid crisis is now doctors are going to jail and are freaking out that they can't prescribe it. So right. it's like it's like you can't take a pendulum and go all the way to like oh my goodness you stubbed your toe here's your oxycodone mm-hmm. to you just had most of your femur removed how's that Advil treating you like there has to. Like, we don't have to go all the way to the wall either side. Like, the United States seems to be really good at just running to separate walls and hitting themselves. Like, absolutely. There's a midground. And what really stinks is that, you know, at the end of the day, these are my opinions and my own. I fully find physicians 100% accountable for what has happened with this opioid stuff because it is. We can disagree on that, but okay. Right, right, right. Well, okay, so I. A specific story that I'll tell you. There was, and I want to say maybe Ohio, um, and I was exaggerating with a hundred, but a lot of accountability. Um, a story in Ohio for a big pharmacy retailer that shall remain nameless, but one that I'm sure everybody knows, where there were more prescriptions for opioids than there were people in the town. So that's kind of, you know, an instance where you're like, what on earth, right? And I don't, and I think what's really unfortunate about that is kind of like you're saying, like, you know, you, they can't, they don't feel like they can resort to, you just had a root canal, like here's a couple of oxycodone or hydrocodone or whatever it may be. And I feel really shitty when I'm trying to pick up a prescription for something as intense as this. And I have the treatment like the drug seeking assumption of whatever it is, mm. even when I, you know, I go to a pain specialist, so I see them and even sometimes talking to them, you just, you build this kind of wall where you don't want to like sound like that. It really sucks that I have to guard what I'm saying. I'm because, getting like you know, worried about saying that this isn't covering the pain anymore. Like I'm always scared to say I, I'm actually getting worse. Can you up my prescription? Cause I'm so scared. They're going to be like, Oh, oh, you've now crossed that threshold into drug seeker. Right. Like, and right. I've been going well, to the same doctor for happened. five years and I still get afraid. And we still have issues when we go to the pharmacy. I saw right. a pharmacist like. The pharmacy is the, the hardest. Oh, the amount of yeah. shade they throw. I'm like, oh, you guys have been studying like how to throw shade because this is like mm-hmm. a new level Absolutely. of judgment. Absolutely. And it's, it's kind of this idea of we need the pharmacy more than they need us. So I feel like, you know, the care is kind of gone there. Um, But that, yeah, that's where I've kind of had the most issues where I moved and there was a pharmacy that was closer to me and I wanted to transfer my usual monthly pain medication and they didn't even, they wanted nothing to do with it. And I was like, okay, cool. So now I have to drive another like four miles on top of the other four or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's just, that really stinks. <laughs> really badly, but, um, but yeah, the whole, the pain management, like, you know, another example, like, you know, every year that passes by, there's more research that's done, and, you know, I know a lot of people, like, one big thing that is kind of, I've seen a lot of people in the bone tumor world get are spinal cord stimulators. That's kind of a really big thing. And one of my, my, the pain specialist I was seeing was highly recommending it for me. And it's very, very well known to treat nerve pain. And for me, I was like, okay, not only do I not want to add another pill, but I don't want to open a part of my body that I've never had open for something that I don't know is going to be a sure thing being my back. Like, I mean, it's, and I, I remember, like, YouTube researching people that had just gotten the spinal cord simulator done, and this woman did, like, a daily diary of videos, and she just looked like she was hating life so bad, and talking about how painful her back was from the surgery. So now you have, like, a new pain, and, like, a new area of your body to treat. So, and I haven't really heard any one of the people that I know that have gotten the spinal cord simulator say, like, oh my gosh, you know, that I, I can walk again, and I can do all this stuff again. I haven't heard any, you know, great stories. There might be some amazing stories out there that I don't know of. Yeah, one of our my... previous um, interviews, just, she had her son, and um, we keep in touch, and it's life-changing. It's amazing. That's awesome. But, which is yeah, awesome, but awesome. it's also, like, it's so hard to tell, like, should I do this? It's like when you're reading Amazon reviews, and it's like, the oh my best gosh, thing ever. Oh my God, this will ruin your life. Don't touch it. It's like, right. ah, how do you make a choice? Like, it's so and hard like, to make choices. And like, why do we go to the bad reviews first? Right? That's always uh, what I always do think, first. I'm like, let's see what the one star was, right? Instead of seeing what all the, the 40, you know, 90% of good reviews were. Um, but yeah, like the spinal cord simulator, amazing idea. And, you know, at the end of the day, for me, again, like, I think in my instance, that it was being pushed to try and lower this, you know, dependence, if you will, on opioids for pain management. Um, and I know, you know, these organizations that make these devices and stuff like that will give some physicians a kickback and all that kind of stuff. That's a whole different topic. But um, I know, I know. But um, but yeah. So that was an option, and I decided no on it, and I'm just going to continue to reconstruct the area of issue of concern, um, you know, and go forward with that. But, um, like even I remember when they would prescribe the NSAID drugs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that would just like destroy my stomach. And I tried like four different types of prescriptions that docs really wanted me to try for the inflammation factor. And they now make one that I wouldn't have known unless I asked. And it has like a built-in kind of antacid, if you will. And I, it's like a Motrinate with a built-in stomach coating something or other. And it's called Duexis, if anybody's interested. But it has worked. It has worked really well. And I know that for me, I'm not going to take an extra opioid if I'm in extra pain. So if I can find something else that works for me, right, if I know that I'm going to be particularly active, like I, in September, I just took a 10-day trip to Europe. And I knew I was going to be dead at the end of every day with my ambitious itinerary, as my boyfriend said, this is really ambitious. I'm like, well, we're going to do as much as we can. And I would make these makeshift ice packs from the hospital ice, <laughs> you know, all the way down to my feet of things that would just hurt so bad. And, you know, another really interesting thing is like adrenaline. 
is like an amazing drug. It's insane. And I had this replacement surgery three months before my best friend got married. And I was the maid of honor. And I had like a wonderful day at her wedding. And I could like not move for three days once it was done. You know, it's just, and I think that's what happened on this European trip where like I came on the, even on like the plane, the second I got into the airport, I was just dead. And, um, you know, the majority of the trip, of course I would have pain at the end of the night and major swelling and all that kind of thing. But like, it's really incredible what adrenaline can do. And that's just something that we come with. It's you know? uh, super helpful. Yeah. 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 So maybe just go to Europe or go on trips every week and get this, like, rush of adrenaline or do crazy adventures every week and you'll have a big cycle of recovery. That's what I missed the most about working was, like, I loved my job. I was a photographer. And when I was working, it wasn't adrenaline. It was getting in the flow. And when you're in that flow state where nothing else exists, and when I was shooting, nothing else existed. No pain, Mm -hmm. nothing. I was just in that moment. And then the second the shooting was done, it was like collapse and then it was like spike it in to get home and like it was just brutal but I miss that because I haven't ever found anything that is that good at getting me out of pain Mm -hmm. I haven't found that flow state thing yet like I have some things but now like I've gotten so much more advanced that like even like drawing I'll pop my wrist out while I'm drawing or interviewing I've already gone through two dislocations interviewing you today like there's oh my goodness have you put them back yep so who teaches you how to do that? Oh my god! Yes, YouTube. Holy, fuck, what do we do without YouTube? Right. Um, <laughs> I learned how to reprogram my bed remote on YouTube the other night because it just stopped, and that was the best purchase I ever made. By the way, anybody with any kind of disability yes. get um, the adjustable bed. Adjustable I got one. Whatever. It is the I best. do everything from there. I dislocate my femur, and like I have the zero gravity setting on my bed. Oh, that I'm like, yeah. oh, thank you, thank you. This is the best. The only thing I want now is like I want to get the heating one, the one that will like do oh, heat or cold. And like if we could do that, I'm like because I'm always like I'm always the opposite temperature, whatever it is, and my husband goes nuts. So like if we could like, have like so we could sleep next to each other, but my bed could be a totally separate bed. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That that was um an incredibly kind. Yes, I'm on disability. My mom bought us that. That was okay. An incredible gift. Yeah, <laughs> was everything. Big. When, when I, I just bought a house a year ago, and oh, that was congratulations. Another... Thank you, thank you. It was a hellacious process that I don't really want to go through again. But you know, this just proves how much these types of things just kind of sneak into every other thing in your life is that I had to depend what I liked in a house based on my disability. So I was looking for first first floor living and a master on the first floor. And like my house has been a little bit of a money pit and everything else that I've had to fix. But all that I gave a shit about was that my master was on the first floor and that I could do everything on that floor. And the irony is that I just had, um, my shower redone to be full ADA with like the bars and the bench and everything. So I'm going to be having the surgery soon. And the door to the bathroom was like 18 inches wide. It's like an old king pad. And I was able to get it or 20 inches wide. And I was able to get it to 24. And I was like, okay, as long as I can fit here through crutches and like, not to mention the weight that you gain from being sedentary for five to 10 years or longer. Can we just so have a I'm, quick word to all doctors? Could you please not tell us we need to lose weight? We, 
we're we're, we're oh all God. aware that with our meds that have like slowed down our metabolisms mm-hmm. where we um do not do well moving um we're, we're all clear that we're not the I'm, same size I'm, we were before this started <laughs> we're, we're all good we didn't miss this like this didn't just like escape our notice right we weren't shocked right. like calm exactly. that down like unless you yeah. can tell me something yeah and they actually sent me to a dietitian because i was like i can literally show you everything i eat in a day it's between like on a big day 1600 calories on most days i'm around 1300 and yeah. i'm still oh. way over and my dietitian like they're like you should see a dietitian and she looked at it she's like i can't recommend you go down to what you would need to go down to lose weight it would be starvation like right Right. So I remember yeah. one person was like, with your sedentary lifestyle right now, of not being able to do, like, I just, yeah, can I do things from, like, bed? Sure. But, like, everybody that's posting about, like, their soldier fits and all that stuff that are, like, jumping and high impact and all that stuff, I can't like do that. The most I can maybe do is, like, Pilates, right? And even that would be kind of hard. Like, if people are like, yoga would be great for you. I'm like, yoga would be great until I get down on the ground and I can't get up. Like, I need life alert. Like, I, like, <laughs> I, I can't get up. I love talking to someone of my generation. This is very exciting. And all the references I'm getting. <laughs> Yay. Um, I've learned that because um, my body will change what it can and can't do based on every 20 seconds. So I have no idea. And either I just stop or which makes me worse because muscle, I and mean, you know how this goes, muscle is everything. And if you right. lose that, you don't have anything. So I started to be really kind to myself and I got this app called Nike training app and it's free, which I love. Okay. And, um, it has all of the exercises my PT recommends on it okay. and it just automatically dings. Like it's like 30 seconds and then I'll go ding. And then it won't talk to me again until it's ready for me to do the next thing. And whatever I can't okay. do or whatever I stop and I'm not able to do, I just can press the next exercise. So like, I can just keep scrolling through until I get to the awesome. exercise I can do. And it's like, Oh, I can I can do that today. Oh, it's only my ribs that are dislocating. Great, we'll work on the legs. Done. Right. Oh, my tibia is dislocated. We're gonna be able to do the arms today, or everything's right. dislocated. I guess we can do breathing exercises. That one, mm-hmm. <laughs> like so. It's um, it's just a matter of like changing what you think success is. Like, what mm-hmm. is a successful workout? Well, I'm obviously not going to be able to go to the gym and, like, get, like, you know, do all the training stuff everyone's super psyched about. Like, the HIT right. workout. I'm like, oh, that's cute. You right. enjoy that. That's great for you. Um, like, exactly. 90% of what people are doing where they're, like, shredding it at the gym or, like, shredding it yeah. Well, here's the, the Or, like, the newest diet where they're like, oh, I've given up sugar. I tried that. I gained 16 pounds in two days because mm-hmm. mass cell is fun. Like it's everyone's like super like they know what's gonna happen, what works for them. It's like if you don't have a healthy body, it's gonna be right. a different situation. And by the way, your diet will react to your pills. Right. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's another thing I've noticed that before being for like a couple of years on opi- opiates, like I could lose a few pounds if I was really trying hard and the opiates are really I think the culprit of what has given me such a hard time with the weight and it's just your body's like stagnant, right? I mean, like nothing inside is like going as it yeah. should be. And, Intestines yeah, and stomach as well. Like there's a reason mm-hmm. they have another prescription for you if you're on opioids so that you can actually eliminate your food. Right, right. So yeah, the, the commercials, you have 
Yeah, opioid-induced constipation. <laughs> oh, here's another pill. And I'm like, holy crap. Thanks. Really need yeah. that one. <laughs> right, right. Like, I have, like, a little pill thing every day, and I have, like, you know, I'm hypothyroid with Hashimoto, so, like, I'll have my Synthroid every morning, and, you know, like, a Clonopin or whatever it is. And we didn't even get to all the other can. things you have. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in an so, hour, I'm like, huh, we, we have a lot to still talk about. <laughs> I know. Well, thankfully, those for me, I, I feel like yet have caused me anything super concerning. I mean, I, I just like a couple of years ago had a uh, needle aspirating biopsy on my thyroid just because I just it's large and it's been very large. I was diagnosed at like 26 with that. But even at that time, I was in the best shape of my life. I had had, I think, one surgery already, and those first couple of surgeries were, have this major surgery, I'm 20-something years old, I'm in the best shape of my life, you know, two, three, four, five months of intensive physical therapy didn't hurt that I worked for a physical therapy company, and I got, like, the best treatment and free that I could have, like, how could I, you know, how, how did that work out? Um, and so I would fully recover, fully get off medication, and that just has not been the case the last five years. It's really just been terrible. And I was telling you, within one and a half years, I had a um, revision done after I had this uh, implant because the only thing that I kept anatomy-wise of my knee was the kneecap because that's typically not something you replace. Like, there is a kneecap replacement, but it's not, like, something that's super successful. Um, and, like, the tendons, you know, that hold my kneecap there. And my now surgeon had to rotate this new knee, this fake knee that I have, 40 degrees to align correctly with my kneecap. That was because that was the pain I was having. I was walking every day. (laughs) And it was just, you know, he could feel it upon just touching it. And this is another kind of advocating to find who's really meant to be your surgeon and who's going to give you the best care. The previous surgeon that I had that did this surgery on me, I continued to tell him during follow-up appointments, like, I am having so much pain getting around, and I've heard that this surgery is very successful. Like, this just doesn't feel normal. I know my freaking body. And and he just, he didn't even x-ray. He didn't do anything. And he was just like, whatever, it's just how it's going to be. Come to find out when I go to see my now surgeon. He literally just palpates the knee and knows that there's an issue, does an x-ray, find the issue, and schedule the surgery and get it fixed. So it's just, it's it's really tough. And I, and I, I think that different people, like I've heard various people that have had great experiences with a surgeon that I haven't had a great experience. It's just you, you know, like you're going to be unique, obviously, to the physician that's going to work the best for you. And, um, and I just... You know, I as much as you're able to, right? If there's something that disappoints you that you don't like to hear, get a second opinion. This is such a rare condition to get and just be, you know, have this as an ailment in your life. And if you can find any other kind of resource or, re, you know, resource online and search for bones from other people now with everything that we have with social media, it's exactly what I was doing five years ago. Like, hey, you had this surgery that I'm about to have. Can you tell me about it? You know, like, tell me what I'm in kind of thing so um yeah anyway such a great point and like if you are privileged enough to have a really good health insurance or you live in an area where there's multiple doctors Mm -hmm. if you are privileged enough for that exactly if you're feeling disrespected by your doctor keep remembering like that they're actually like 
you're, they're a service. Like you're supposed you're to be treated customer. with respect. Like you should never yeah. feel disrespected or humiliated by your doctor. That's an abusive relationship with your doctor. Like Absolutely. I had to learn that the hard way. I get like um, a doctor PTSD when someone has a white coat. I like all of my personality shuts down and I'm just, I get so scared. Like I have the hardest time like advocating and yeah, I, it's, it's real. Like you get super nervous, but like you should always be true with care and respect and concern. And like when you're talking about like the doctors and like the mobility issue, there's also a thing with a lot of the chronic illness community on when do you start using mobility aids? And right. I've had like PTs go, no, you can't use a wheelchair because you will lose muscle strength and then right. you will not be able to walk. And then when I started using a wheelchair, um, when I needed to, it actually ended up increasing my strength because I had more ability to do the real exercises that built muscle. <laughs> like, right. Not to say it works for everyone. I'm just saying like, these are things to think about when a doctor's like, no, you can't do what makes you feel comfortable and safe. Like mm-hmm. see about like, if that's really definitely what needs to happen. And with the, the social media groups, those are priceless to be able Absolutely. to see what other people's experiences are so thank you so much for creating your social media group thank thank you i mean i'm grateful it's 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 honestly awesome to have people from all over the world contact and say hey and even it'll it'll even be caretakers a lot of parents because it's a lot of young people with this you know with bone tumors and so people that are just really struggling and typically they'll kind of either one ask me what treatment will be like or what recovery will be like or two they're coming to me because they left unhappy with the physician you know and that's it's so heartbreaking especially with something as serious and like you know horrendously painful as this it just it angers me and it saddens me that there's you know individuals that like to go in and I understand like you know some especially surgeons like they you know they love to cut right? Like they love to go perform surgery and they like hate their clinicals, right? You know, their the follow-up appointments and all that stuff. And, you know, I hate it too. I'm sitting there for one, two, three hours or whatever waiting. I have to take half a day, if not a full day off from work or whatever it is, a waste of PTO on something that I wish would not be that long. Um, and especially when I'm waiting for an hour and my appointment's three minutes, you know, it's like that, that really sucks. Um, but, you know, there are some doctors, and this is how I knew my my surgeon now is just very passionate about what he does. Not only he participates in tons of research and studies and journals and authors a ton of stuff, but he, I actually saw him walking around pre-op floor. And I've never seen that in any of my, what's soon to be seven surgeries ever. I've usually seen what's kind of like the elusive, like you say, that white coat coming in to visit you with like whatever, you know, fancy stuff that, you know, I remember, I'll never forget when surgery, um, a surgeon was wearing pearls like under her white coat. And I was like, the only thing I remembered. And she came in for two seconds to say hi to my parents. You know, I'm all IV and everything in pre-op, which is like the most nerve wracking moment that you have. And they see you for two seconds. You barely see them after surgery. It's like, cause these are teaching hospitals. So it's like mostly residents. You're under the care of residents and you're kind of like this lab rat. And this surgeon, you know, he has Tuesday, Thursday surgery and the rest of the days are her first follow-ups and clinicals. And I had surgery on Tuesday and I hear somebody come into my room on Wednesday at like six in the morning and it was him on his clinical day to see how I was doing. I have never, 
ever had that in my life. And he stuck around with me for as long as possible. We shot the shit. It was great. He's just, and even when the anesthesiologists and the nurses and everybody on the pre-op floor were telling me how much they love this doctor and surgeon, just validated me being with him. And he's, and another thing that really sucks, there are surgeons in the bone tumor world in orthopedic oncology that are known as fixers, that they'll essentially fix or revise a surgery from another surgeon that may be not following up with you as much yep. as they should be. Yeah. If you and ever want to know and you can ask the nurses who mm-hmm. they would have as their surgeon, because they, if they're willing to answer honestly, then you will get the best answer. Right. They're coworkers. The like we, oh, don't they think, know. we think of doctors and physicians as this like elusive thing, right? They're humans like us. They're coworkers. And these people just could not, they were like raving about him. And just like he was talking to everybody, you know, every single person involved in the process of my operation and, and my everything. And it just, I've never had that in the 15 years of, you know, now four, so three other, you know, surgeons. Have I had other surgeons that I've really liked? Totally. One in particular that I really liked and geographically is the reason why I'm not seeing him. Was his bedside manner like the one that I have now? He was a little, he was a little more nerdy and like, you know, to the point, whatever. But I liked his honesty. You know, I thought he had great treatment for me. Um, you know, but as far as like the whole package, and I realize you might never find the whole package, but the whole package is, I, I mean, I won the lottery with the, you know, the surgeon that I have now. And, and sadly, I've talked to, you know, I've recommended another friend from my group that's local to me to see him after, you know, a surgeon that we both had was kind of like semi abandoning us with post-operative pain years later. So, um, so yeah, so you, you know your body the most, right? And if somebody wants to tell you without x-raying, without scientific proof, that nothing is wrong, right? Just there's no shame in finding something else. And, and another thing, you know, I know so many people are just really reluctant to change. And they get a lot of anxiety with change, you know, and, and getting off a path and starting over. But this is your livelihood and like your getting around and mobility and everything. These are really important things to not bargain for, you know, like I'll drive that extra hour or whatever it is, you know, and again, like the perfect thing that you said earlier, like if you have the privilege, like I'm probably a terrible example because I've been able to afford these insurances and I've been able to afford this stuff. Um, And that, like I said, that was a rude awakening when I first started this group because I thought that I was going to be able to raise money for the cause. And now I'm just essentially um, helping people, people out, you know, with what I have that I don't, I don't have kids. I don't have, you know, certain other expenses that I have been able to help some folks that need help more than I do. So, um, so yeah, that's really kind of what this group has become between, you know, and I have this little tagline, the cure to endure, like, it's really finding people that you can talk to about this. And it's, it's crazy that I have people that I would consider some of my best friends that I've never met in person, you know? So it's just, it's unbelievable really what you can find from these kind of getting all together and rallying together for your health and to share with one another. That's where all the power is, is when you get everyone together to work towards a single cause. I mean, it's like herding cats sometimes, but Right. It's the most useful. Well, if you would like to see this um, show, 
visually, go over to our YouTube channel. Um, if you want to see some of the things that we're talking about, if you want to to visit the website, um, just go over to our show notes. I'll have everything all linked up right at the top. And thank you so much for giving me so much of your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I took more than more of your time than we anticipated. No, I, I'm so, so happy. I'm just getting to like this level of pain where I'm like, I am hearing like 80% of what you're saying. And uh, <laughs> I should probably take pills just about now. <laughs> So absolutely. thank you for being Put it on. in your notes like I do. Don't forget. Yes, absolutely. Well, be kind, be gentle, be a badass. If you want to do something really nice for the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts. I think that's what it's called now. It's still where we get most of our listeners and um, leave some things to say. Um, if I do read everything. I mean, good and bad. I read it all. I take it all to heart. So um, be nice. Always be nice. Uh, but be honest. All right. So um, thanks, everyone. Uh, Eva will be on next week. I don't know who she's going to be interviewing, but it will definitely be something fun.